Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, we are appreciative of your word. We are thankful uh, that you brought us here this morning. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the depth that you continue to uh, reach in us. Lord, we ask that as a church, you will never let us be superficial. Lord, that we will not care about superficial things. Uh, Lord, that our, our numbers or our flooring or our... A parking lot, or that we will not be distracted by those things, Lord, but ultimately uh, that we will be a, uh, will be a people that reflects a, a picture of you to a broken world. Lord, we ask that today as we study, as we study the book of Colossians, that you will, you will uh, give us insight into how to better fulfill uh, your will in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I am... Uh, I'm excited for, because I've got something I want to share with you um, other than the sermon. I have something that I want to, sh- that I want to, and, and I hope what, I hope I don't make it such a big thing that like, you're like, really, that's it? You know, so, so let me give you, let me give you an example. On Thanksgiving, my mom made the mistake of saying, well, I have a present for all the grandkids. And so all the grandkids all day long, they couldn't eat, their, they couldn't eat turkey, they couldn't eat anything because my mom brilliantly um, uh, tossed the idea out that there is a present awaiting every single grandchild. And so every single grandchild could not eat anything. It's like, but when do we get the present? When do we get the present? And so then, like, it came time. Like, no, go eat, no, go eat, no, go. So these kids, like, eat a half of a roll, you know, like a piece of turkey, um, and then they're like, so, so can, now can we have the present? Yeah. And then she gave them all a Christmas ornament. <laughs> you should have seen the look of disappointment on their faces. It was like, the crap is this? You know? <laughs> like you could say it was beautiful. It was, they were like, oh, like a, one kid was crying. One was like, I got it. It was a real present, you know? <laughs> Which is my brother. He's four years younger than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. The last part's not true. It wasn't my brother <laughs> or me. It wasn't me either. Um, uh, so I hope what I sh- when I share this with you, it doesn't land like that. So don't get your hopes up too high. It is special. It is cool. But it, it, don't like look under your seat. Everybody gets a $100 bill. That's not what it is. All right. So. Uh, we are in the book of Colossians, and the book of Colossians has been pretty insightful. Uh, we just finished chapter one. It's taken us five, it's taken us five or six weeks to mash out chapter 1, because there's a lot to it. The Apostle Paul, uh, when, he, when he writes, he writes a lot of things backwards. He builds and builds and builds, and, and that makes sense because he wants you to stay on the line. He wants you to stay on the line. It's like when storytellers tell a story, and then they have these very dramatic pauses, and everybody tunes in. It's the preacher who said, you could scream about sin all day long, but if you want to hold their attention... And that's what happens. The Apostle Paul builds and builds and builds and builds and builds in hopes that you'll stay on the line. Unfortunately, in our culture, we are this get to the punchline, 
What's the point? Get to the point. I, got, and I don't have time for this. To just don't take me on a journey. Give me some data. We've tried to break this down and get all the way through it. Here's what we do know about the apostle Paul. He has not been to Colossus. He wrote this letter to a group of people based on a conversation that the preacher of their church had with the Apostle Paul. And when he heard about this church, when he had heard about what they were doing, he sat down and he wrote a letter to them to congratulate them, to encourage them, to spur them on to more and greater things. The preacher must have confided in Paul about our culture is screaming on the outside. There's more than Jesus out here. Don't let it just be Jesus. There's some really great pop psychology. There's some really great uh, Hinduism things. There's some great Buddhist things we can do. And, and this is all screaming on the outside. Our church is holding strong, but I fear that we could fall if we're not careful. I fear we could be tempted and we could go astray. And in, on hearing that, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to them. So we got through chapter 1, which is mostly introductory material to where he's introducing himself, encouraging them, moving them on. Now he's going to start biting away at what's going on inside their culture. Not necessarily the church yet, but inside of their culture. The things that are pressing in around them. And so that's where we're going to start. Before I do, I want to read you a letter. This last week... I was thinking through, what would it be like for a spiritual leader of some sort, somebody who I respect and who I think, by knowing you, I think you would respect him as well. What would it be like if, the, if they were to write us a letter? If I were to find a guy who I respect on a spiritual level as a mentor and I ask him to speak into our life. What would you have to share with our church of what you know about our church? He was more than excited, and this is what he wrote back. Greetings. I am Richard Taylor. I'm the director of missions for Flint Hills Association Churches here in eastern Kansas. My guess is that most of you do not know me. Some might see my face and think that I am familiar, and that's about it. But I have on occasion sat in the back part of the old theater and even in the current building during worship services. On several occasions, I have met and prayed with your elders and staff while they were searching for God's wisdom and making serious, important decisions. For over a decade, I have come to know and love many of you. In keeping with the season, I want you to know that I thank our God for your influence in the city of Iola. I am aware that many individuals and families experience God's grace because of your commitment to him. The stories and the testimonies that have been shared offer encouragement to me and others I come in contact with. Not that brokenness and desperation are isolated to Allen County, but your living testimony of God's power through your compassion and service are well known. It is a challenge to others to persevere and remain steadfast in fulfilling the Great Commission. I will continue to pray that you will grow even stronger in your love and compassion for others in need of the Savior. I know that there are many, many different churches in Allen County, and each has a specific role and place in the community. Each is capable of meeting needs, but your church family fills a unique role in ministry. 
serving those in Iola that no other church has or probably could. God has placed you in a unique place and time for his glory in Iola. Knowing that God has called many individuals and churches to reach the lost of Iola, your ability to work with other kingdom-minded ministries and churches serves as an example of teamwork. Your participation in the work of enlarging the kingdom is known and valued by others across Kansas. Furniture from Iola was used in starting a new church in Atchison. Mission giving from your church was used to help a pastor while his wife, uh, a pastor and his wife in Silver Lake as they traveled to, uh, to the cancer center in Houston. A word from your pastor provided encouragement and wise counsel to a discouraged pastor in Topeka. I and others thank God for your partnership in sharing Christ and his love across the entire state. My word of encouragement to you is to continue to lead your lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. It is a true blessing to hear and see that you are standing firm in one spirit and one purpose, striving side by side with us for the faith of the gospel. Your partner in ministry, Richard Taylor. You are known? You are known in other places for what you've done and what you do? Other churches know you, who you are, what you do? That you come from a place like, oh, it's a huge metropolis, Iola, Kansas. Other people know you? Oh, you know Iola, uh-uh. No, that sounds like way too many vowels in one word. You know Iola. Oh, that church. Here was my request. If you had anything encouraging to share with our congregation, what would it be? That was it. What would it be? And this is what he offered. What would it be like for a city like Coloss, a dying city, everything around it is growing, and then somebody of some sort of credibility or spiritual depth says, I've heard of you. I know about you. I know what's been done. I know how you've handled things. Here's what's crazy. Over the next four weeks, I'll share with you four other letters that I got from four other ministers who have been here, who have visited, who have spoke here. And we'll hear what they have to say about us as well. Here's the beauty and part of the reason that I truly love uh, marriage counseling. It's not because I'm good at it. I love to sit in marriage counseling because here's what happens to me. I see things that I'm bad at and I get a heads up on how to fix it before it gets bad. I'm sheerly using you. <laughs> That's it. I, look, I want a heads up on what's coming down the line. What's the best way to handle it? Don't be that guy and say that. That's the thing. That, that's what I want to learn. When you find a group of people or other Christian ministers or Christians who have heard about your church, who know who you are, what you do, the way your, the way your mind works, and they begin to speak back into your life, it serves as a mirror for you to be able to say, okay, this, maybe we're not who I thought we were. I thought we were kind of like, you know, ragtag. 
we don't really know each other. We show up here. We don't. But I'm hearing something different. Maybe I'm a part of something else. So the Apostle Paul begins to work at the, uh, with the Colossians to show them who they are and to put their identity in print so they can read it. To take their identity and show it to them. This is who you are. Okay, um, that's, enough. that's enough introduction. Let's jump right into it. If you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible at all, and there's one nearby, um, that's our gift to you. You can take that green thing that's nearby. There's one tucked in there somewhere. You can take that home if you need one. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 1. Let's break it down. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those in Laodicea who have not met me personally. I want you to know how much I'm pulling for you. Do you sense that tone in the letter from Richard Taylor? I'm pulling for you. I get to sit around and be with other churches all the time and I love to hear about this one. Why? Because... Because I'm, this is a picture of what I really hoped I would see in churches someday. This is what I'm pulling, I'm pulling for you. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossians, to, to, in Coloss. I'm rooting for you, I'm pulling for you, I'm praying for you. Just because you are not living a life with constant mountaintop experiences does not mean you are far from God. Let me say this one more time. Just because... Your life is not a constant mountaintop experience in your spirituality that does not suggest you and God are jacked up. You with me? There is a really, really ugly teaching out in the world, and it goes like this. If you give your life to Jesus, your whole life will be better. If your life's not going good, then you and Jesus are probably at odds. I'm not comfortable with that. Especially when Jesus is the one who said, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble. I am pulling for you. Don't give up. Don't assume. Don't let that natural inborn guilt thing that so many of us carry just suddenly just tromp all over you because you can't seem to get over that hump because you're in that rut, because you're stuck in depression, because you just don't feel happy, you just don't feel like you're connecting with God, thus God must be angry with you. Paul writes, I'm contesting for you. I'm contending for you, pulling for you. Keep your head up. That has got crap to do with it. Keep moving forward. 
Verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. That's the first part. Second part is this. So they may have the full riches of complete understanding. That's the second part. Here's the third. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So the only way we can get to this is, is we could do it Paul's way, but I'm not very good at that, so we're going to do it backwards. So let's start with the last one. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. The ultimate goal of, of, of this letter that he's writing to them is this. You need to know Christ. You need to know Christ. So then how do we get to know Christ? How do we understand this mystery of God that is Jesus Christ? How do we understand it? We got to go to the next one. It requires that you tap into the full riches of complete understanding. L literally meaning this. The abundance or the wealth of conviction and confidence. I have to somehow walk into a place that overwhelms me with confidence and conviction. That's the only way that I can begin to understand who Christ is, is I have to be overwhelmed by the abundant wealth of understanding in who Jesus is. Okay, then how do we do that? Go to the next step. The next step is this. You must be encouraged in heart and united in love. So, work back through. You still with me? Work back through. For us to understand the mystery of God that is Jesus, we must be what? Encouraged in heart, united in love. Encouraged in heart, united in love. I, I don't know about you, but there are very few places that I go during the week that I find both encouragement in heart and united in love. You? If your whole world is like that, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't, I'm obviously not doing something right. You, you have that mountaintop experience thing. You're a weirdo, okay? <laughs> or, or you have no idea what's going on around you ever. Or you're, you're that's, that's, that's amazing. I, there's few places I go. Do you know one of the places that I go where I am encouraged at my heart, my inner man, and to where I feel like I'm united in love for a cause, for something else. Do you know where that is? My guess is, based on the look of the room, about 180 of you know where that is. Here. Look, if you keep coming here and it's a discouragement to you, stop coming. <laughs> you know? How long do you bang your head on a wall? You're like, I just hate this church. Freaking go, you know? Like, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make any sense. The reason we come here is because we need something. We need to connect on some level. On a heart level, we need to be knitted together. We need to be knitted together in love. United in love, that word is the Greek word, knitted together. I don't know if you know this. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. He made tents. I imagine he would probably know something about knitting, sewing something together, taking fabrics and putting them together. Here's what's great about the word. And this is, this is pretty cool. That when it comes to encouraging, it's this. You must be able to be encouraged and encourage. Do you, know, do you see the difference? Some of you are great encouragers. You are crap when it comes to being encouraged. 
You can look across the room and you can find somebody who is hurting, but you yourself will never let somebody into your pain. Uh-huh. I just saw it happen. Oh, you started pulling your feet up because you got your toes stepped on. Started pulling into your shoes. Yes, we are excellent. I'm ta- you know why I know this? Because I are him. That is who I am. That is who I am. I want to encourage, but I don't want you in my pain. Jesus can go there, but I don't trust you. This requires us to, the door has to swing both directions. I have to be able to come and encourage you and be able to be encouraged. The next part was this, be knitted together in love. Now this word knitted together, this is a very active word. It's not a passive word. It's an active word. We can go to football games or soccer matches or baseball games and we can stand beside somebody who's wearing the same color of jersey or the, uh, got the same icon on their shirt, neat little logo. And we can root and scream for our team. And I don't even have to know this guy, but like he and I are buddies, you know, and we're high-fiving at every score, you know, like, yeah, that's awesome. we're singing the songs and doing the thing. Because why? We got this thing in common. It's like when moms have babies and they got a baby, they got a little, uh, like a little a baby carrier and they see another mom with a baby carrier, like they're like magnets. Like, oh, what's inside your baby carrier? It's a baby. What's in yours? It's a baby. And see, this is what happened. And they start having these go, oh, mine's pink. Well, mine's blue. I think that means boy and girl. And so then this is, um, this is, his name's Elijah and this is whatever. And so this is what happens. We get close to each other. It's the same thing with motorcycle riders. Now, I wasn't, started riding motorcycles about eight years ago. And here's the weird thing that I didn't know about motorcycle, uh, motorcycle riders at, at this point or some motorcycle riders. They do this really weird thing when they pass each other. Have you seen them? Where they point at the they point at the asphalt as they hey and this is this thing they do. So for the longest time, like we're going by and these guys are like, hey, and I'm like, I didn't see it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I didn't see the. So I didn't know this either. Uh, so I got this old raggedy jeep. And apparently, Jeep people do the same thing. So I'm going down the road, and, and people are waving at me. And my daughter says, who's that? Well, I don't know. I don't <laughs> Any idea why this is happening? There's a world of difference between us sharing circumstances and us being knitted together. Just because the side of my motorcycle tank says a certain brand, or my shirt has got the logo with the right color of blue, or because I'm in a cancer ward and they're in a cancer ward, or because they got a baby carriage and I got a baby carriage, that doesn't suggest that we are knitted together. Part of the mistake that churches have made in the past is what we do is we create like-minded people, interest-based churches. Oh, so everybody who does this should come to our church. And so then you got to see a camouflage because everybody loves to hunt, except when it's hunting season. And then you know what you have? No seas of camouflage. You know where they are? Hunting. <laughs> Except for on the weekends. Why? Because then that's when the motorcycle guys are gone. And then that's when this is. That's just traveling baseball. Okay, so interest-based church is not exactly what we, were, what we were aiming for here. 
Paul says, be knitted together. You know what those words mean? Get in stride. Work to match. Ugh. Strive, strive to be cohesive. Do you start seeing the problem with this on a spiritual level? Because, like, I don't know if you've been around a lot of church people, but we can be temperamental. Have you noticed? And so, as, as, as humans, we are temperamental anyway. And then we have to look across the room. We have to see somebody who maybe I don't exactly agree with or I don't think they're trying their hardest. Or I don't think they're pulling their weight or I don't think they give like they should or I don't think they wear the right clothes. And then we get these schisms that happen and we, we kind of quarter ourselves off in all these little cliques and groups. What Paul's saying is this, strive to be knitted together in love. Why? Because of all the crap that we do not have in common, do you know what this entire room should have in common? Jesus. And that precedes everything about our life. He is the image of the invisible God, not he was. He is before all things, not he was. Meaning that still he is before all things. So we strive to love one another. Even when it's difficult, we strive to love one another. Even when we mess it up, we strive to love one another. Interesting, I'll come back to that, I'll come back to that. This idea of us being together and being knitted together, um, where'd it go? Right up there, third one back, third banner back. This idea of communion, this idea of community. It's the breaking of bread. That's the peace offering between us. So we share meals. So we pass these trays and we all drink, not of a common cup, but from a common cup for the same reason. That's what these are for, to point us back to we are striving to be knitted together. Let's go to the next part. Verse three. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is simply a run over from verse two. So we come off of verse two. Let me get there real quick. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Literally, here's what the words mean. So that you can be granted access to the warehouses of both earthly wisdom and knowledge and heavenly wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ, okay? So imagine this. Somebody hands you the keys to a whole bunch of warehouses full of all of this, all the, it's basically the internet, all the information in the entire world that you could ever know that's lined up in these warehouses and all these warehouses are where? In Christ. Paul is doing something here, okay? Now your little spiritual antennas need to start going up and you need to notice this deal. 
Paul is doing something. He's undercutting the, the uh, false teaching that's going on in Coloss with these words. You are not going to come by any amount of information that precedes Jesus Christ. Why do you think evolution is such a big battle? Why do you think that's such a big thing? Have you ever thought about why that would be such a big thing? Why are we so hell-bent on proving that it either happened or it didn't happen one way or the other? Why? Because if we can say that this happened this way, maybe we can get rid of that Jesus came first. Maybe we can undercut him and get him out of the picture. Why in the world would we, would be, would we be interested in doing that? I can tell you why. Because if we can get rid of Jesus, we can get rid of moral law. We can get rid of moral code. You know what that means? It means I get to do what I want. And you can't do crap about it. That's it. So if we can get rid of this thing, then that's what we can do. Why would that even be such a huge deal? We've got to get rid of Jesus first. And Paul refuses. No. Jesus is first. Jesus is the beginning. He is from the beginning. And he undercuts every other thing by, him, by just this, this little phrase. He is in all things, before all things. Verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by, sa- by fine-sounding arguments. Let me tell you something. You know what I am not fearful of for our, for our community? If somebody were to walk into our community or walk into our church and say, hey, listen, I've been a pastor for a lot of years. Could I, could I supply preach for you at some point if you're ever going to be gone? Sure. And then that guy shows up and he takes the stage and he says, now listen, I know Jared's kind of been on a, a rant about Jesus this and Jesus that, but um, two weeks from now down at Neosha Falls, if we go right down there by the bridge, um, there's going to be a comet that comes by, and it's going to land in the water. It's going to be really hot, but once it cools down, we're all going to get inside of it, and we're going to ride off to heaven. Who's with me? You know what I'm not worried about? I'm not worried about anybody going with them. I'm really not. Like, some of you will go down there and take pictures from the other side of the bridge, other side of the river. <laughs> like, look at these morons. But none of you are going to, like, go try to get it or even expect a comet to show up. You just want to be like, who's the idiot that's down at the river? I want to go watch this. Like, I'm not worried about that. And Paul's not worried about that. Here's why. Because crazy is not a convincing argument. You know what I mean? So we've talked about so many times. There's a guy ranting and raving on the streets. The end is near. The end is near. It's going to happen today. He doesn't have a congregation surrounded around him. Why? Okay, maybe the end is near. But I'm not comfortable standing by this guy because he's shouting the whole time. You know what is convincing, though? That political correctness really does fit the gospel. I mean, political correctness really is, really sounds like something Jesus would say and do. Political correctness actually seems to be more of a, a, maybe kind of a kickback to the good old days of when Jesus was telling people that they needed to love one another, really. I mean, political correctness sounds that way. We should all strive to be a little bit more politically correct in our speech and in our language. That could be a dangerous topic, don't you think? Because that's a fine-sounding argument. 
Here's the problem. Jesus' own words were this. I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. Oh, you want to make sure everybody fits in? Too bad. That's Jesus' mindset. If you don't hate your father, hate your mother, you can't love me. Uh, Jesus, that is not very nice at all. I didn't come here to be nice. I came here to save the world. Political correctness can sound like a very, very, very fine argument. But it sure isn't. It's a pseudo-gospel. And it has pseudo-results. You can't tell somebody what you believe because if you do and it hurts their feelings or it offends them, it's going to cost us all something. So you need to be very, very careful with what you do. Jesus Christ said it this way. If you do not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. Listen, let me just say this just really, just, just as simple as I can. I'm okay if, you, if it hurts your feelings when I say Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm okay with that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But, but, like, but some other people might have another way to God. No, there's no other way. No other way. Political correctness puts us in a place to where as that grows and mutates and evolves and gets bigger, it begins to override all these other things, and it sounds so true. Paul says, don't worry about the crazy guy down at the river waiting on a comment. You have to have attentive ears to be able to know my voice from the voice of the deceiver. Paul is chopping away at what's going on, on what's going on in the community, inside their culture, and he's saying to them, this is scary. Now, let me take a side note because I can, I, I, I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing here that some of that can be and sound very uh, brash. Let me tell you the other side of what I believe. We do need to be very, 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 very considerate of other people. But that does not change my beliefs. We need to be very, very kind in how we refer to people and groups of people. But that does not change my belief system. My belief system comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. My government does not. The Holy Spirit impacts my life. The community of believers speak into my life and into your life, and that's where we correct one another. It's not done by some sort of outside entity. We are moved by the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God. Now, in saying that, let me, let me, let me go back. My firm belief is this. Jesus is calling all men unto himself. All men, no matter what condition their soul is in, he's calling all men to himself. Here's the reason why. Because until any of us get to Jesus, we are not fixed. We can go to church. We can put on our favorite sweater and our best slacks and our good shoes. We can close our eyes during the prayer. We can take communion when everybody else takes communion. But that does not affect my soul. I cannot clean myself up before I get to Jesus. So Jesus calls all men unto himself. Do I think he is just an absolute uh, pushover? Oh, no, absolutely not. 
I believe he's calling all men unto himself because he loves them and he wants to make a difference in their life like he has in ours. So fine-sounding arguments. That's the thing. Keep our eyes open for fine-sounding uh, arguments. Um, here's another, here's another fine-sounding argument. It doesn't matter to me just so long as you're happy. Right? Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me what you do just so long as you're happy. There's a lot of things that would make me happy I shouldn't be doing. Agreed? But I'm happy. Right? Not good. There's a lot of things that would really disrupt my marriage if I was doing things that make me happy. That's a fine-sounding argument, but it, is, it carries absolutely no weight in the spiritual realm. No weight whatsoever. Um, verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul encourages him at this point. He uses two military words. The first one is orderly and the next one is firm. If you remember correctly, when we talked about this uh, in the beginning, Paul is writing this letter from prison under Roman guard. Under the global uh, military power that, that is. So Paul sees great warriors, great soldiers, while he is under guard in, in, this, in this area. And so when he says, you look this way and you look this way, you have an orderliness to you that is wonderful, and a firmness in faith. This is to talk about rank and arrangement, your appearance, your order, your appearance as a, as a soldier. You look good. The next thing that he says about the, uh, the church in Colossians is this, the church in Colossus is this. You are firm in your faith, which means battle ready. I see this in you. Your uniforms are perfect, and you are battle ready. I can see it in your eyes. Do not lose your fervor. Do not lose your fervor. Just as you, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. There was a day for most of us where we gave our life to Christ. Vacation Bible school, it was youth group, it was a church camp. It was at a tent revival. It was at, it was at a church one evening. And, and something changed in you. You, on the riverbank, whatever, whatever it may have been, something changed. You and God connected in a way that you never had before, and stuff just made sense. You took a step that day. I'm, something's changed in me. I need to do the next thing. What's the next thing? You baptized. You made your confession at church. You called somebody. You told them. Whatever, whatever your process was that you came to those decisions, you connected with Christ on that level. It was good. It was strong. It was personal. And then Paul says this. The only step in the Christian faith the first and only step in the Christian faith is this. Just as you received Christ, keep going. 
The Greek is this. Just as you received Christ, so walk. The first step in receiving Christ is to break your own heart open or allow him to break it for you and receive Christ. Do you know what every step after that looks like? Just like that one. To where God lays something on your heart and you receive it and then you walk. To where he tells you about the dangers of a relationship that you should not be in. And you accept that, you receive it, and then you walk. Or he speaks something into your life that is so full of light and you receive it and you walk. That is the first and only step to the Christian faith. We receive Christ. We continue to receive Christ on a regular basis in his words, with his actions, in his commission. And that's what we do. And Paul says, just like it was on that day when your heart was strangely warmed and you became a Christian, so keep going that route. Keep going that route. Paul is saying, just as you receive Christ as Lord, now walk. The culture was starting to say that Jesus is cool. Jesus is good. We dig him. But I think there's some other really good pop psychology stuff out there that, that, that could work for you. They were starting to say, you know, I think there's some other really good ideas. Maybe we could do these, mix them in. I think it'd be really good. And he says, no, 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 no. Listen, there's more of Jesus to be had. Now listen, I'm not Pentecostal. I'm, I'm half Pentecostal on my mother's side, but not full-blown, you know. So, so I'm, not a big, I'm not a big fan of the phrase, but let me, let me use it anyway. There is a level, there is a depth of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ, and sometimes we just need to dig in. If you're bored with Jesus, it's not Jesus' fault. If your faith has gone just kind of flatline, that, that, that does not give you reason to say, well, see, Jesus didn't sustain me. He didn't fulfill me. That's not Jesus' fault. Like, that's on our end. We push in. We push further into where we need to be with Jesus Christ. And that's, that responsibility lies on us. So walk. Just as we received Christ, so then walk. And we begin to take those steps. If my proclamation of Jesus Christ causes other people to question their lives, I'm okay with that. And you should be okay with that too. If your proclamation of who Jesus Christ is causes other people to be uncomfortable with their life, then that's okay. Here's why. Because the sacrifices that we have made to continue to stay on the path to follow Jesus have been difficult, and I'm not giving them up for anybody. True? not there's way too many things in the world that I'd really like to be doing and I'm not doing them there's sacrifices that we have been making I'm okay if it's offensive I'm okay if it pushes back a little last one verse 7 so how do we walk we walk rooted Built up in him, this is verse 7, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Here it is, rooted. Uh, where'd it go? Oh, it's in the back. The Bible, the book on our crest, rooted. 
Listen, we have to be a church that loves scripture. Know it, read it. Look, start in a gospel, okay? Start in a gospel and just read. So you read like five verses or you read like one little story and you move on. Just read. We need to be that church. Why? Because if we know our scripture, we can't be deceived. No one's going to tell us that political correctness or hail bop is going to be good for us. With me? And I don't just have issue with political correctness. I'm just, just as a, as a picture, okay? It's my straw man. I'm beating him up a little bit, okay? Um, we have to be rooted. We have to be rooted. This is how. We do that with scripture because God's word changes our life. Next one, built up. That means we are to continue to grow. It's a follow-up plan, following a pre-designated set of specifications. That's what the Greek means. That our life is mapped out for us. All we have to do is then follow what Scripture says. Um, built up and strengthened. This goes to my favorite one, the gnarly one. This has everything to do with our discipline. This has to do with we dig in for these reasons. These are the sacrifices. This is why we've worked hard. So we're built up. We are strengthened, confirmed, ratified, if that, if that helps. And then the last one is this, overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this is beautiful and a perfect place to end, okay? The word thankfulness here is the word, the Greek word, eucharista, the Eucharist. Some of you come from, from a Catholic background or a, a Presbyterian, Methodist maybe, then you know when we say Eucharist, we're talking about what? Yeah, communion with thankfulness. How do we do it? How do we grow with each other in thankfulness? Around a, table of me, around a table of food, this is how we do it. This is why we grow. This is how we grow. It's through this. These are the steps that we take. Um, have you ever had a car that was out of alignment? Super good on tires, right? Super good on tires. I couldn't fix that problem if I have that problem. I couldn't fix that problem. But Jesus can as a church, that's one of the things that we want to do. We want to make sure that we are keeping everything in a line. We want to keep it in alignment with who God wants us to be. We don't want to be wearing the tread off of somewhere where we don't need to. We want to be efficient. We want to move forward. We want to be strong. We want to care. We want to love. We want to take care of our community. We want to take care of each other. So that's it. Love you. Uh, let me pray and we'll get out of here. God, we thank, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We appreciate uh, your faithfulness. We appreciate your... Uh, reach into our life. We pray that you will bless this holiday season. Lord, as we gear up uh, for, for Christmas, Lord, pray that we can keep our mind and our hearts in the right place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.